Good morning. It's great to see you here. It's good to see each and every one of you. It's great to see Jeremiah back there, our new brother in Christ. That's wonderful. It's great to see uh, everyone that's here and do, as has been mentioned, we got a lot of people who are sick and can't be with us today, and uh, we hope they're feeling better soon, but if they have something that's contagious, we're glad they didn't bring it along to share. So anyway, it is good that we can be here to praise God and honor Him, and you know, God gives us so much in the passage that Tim just read for us that our lesson will come from over there in Titus 3. We're going to go all from one verse, verse 8. I thought about doing verse 8, 9, and 10, and I thought, oh man, I'll be forever. So uh, we'll hit on the positive side of things this week, and then we're going to, Lord willing, next week, it's the last, next two verses are kind of hammered down. If you just look real quick, some very important words from each of these is uh, we need to engage. I believe the new King James says maintain good deeds. And then you look at verse 9, it talks about what to avoid. And then verse 10 tells you what to reject. So we won't get to the avoiding and rejecting. First, we're going to get to what we're to be confident about and engaged in or maintain. You know, it's funny driving. You know, when you're going to preach things, you think about even when you're driving down the road, uh, what your next lesson is and everything. I thought about engaging and maintain driving down 44. You know that? Because I pushed my cruise, I engaged my cruise control. Do you know it maintained my speed? What good would it do? I think about how those words work in both in the different translations. If you engage in something and don't maintain it, it's pretty useless or worthless. And if you don't engage it, what's the chance of maintaining it? So I think about how important all those things are, but... As we look a little bit here, I want you to see here in verse 8, this is a trustworthy statement. (coughs) And it says, and concerning these things, I want you to speak confidently. Speak confidently. If we had time to back up and even look at all that he spoke about, but he definitely talks about Jesus and being justified by the grace and having hope of eternal life. And we need to be confident about that. Dennis mentioned a passage I wasn't planning on mentioning, but since he mentioned it, i got to mention it. 1 John 5 and verse 13 tells us the reason 1 John was written is so that you can know you have eternal life. If you want to know whether or not you have eternal life, you need to read and study and look on and meditate on 1 John. Or you can't be sure of anything about your eternal life. So I think about how important these things are, but I think about being confident. You know, on all kinds of things. <laughs> Most of you know, uh, one of the things I do quite a bit is hunt or shoot. Shoot a gun, shoot a bow. And, you know, I can tell you what range with each of those things that I'm confident at. So, yeah, I'll take that shot. I'm confident I can do that. Now, just because I'm confident I can shoot at that distance doesn't mean you're con- I always think it's interesting someone shoots and they say, did I hit it? Why would you shoot if you weren't sure you were going to hit it? You know, no, the question would be, no way did I miss? We need to be confident, not that we can't do something uh, and it fail, but we need to become, Christians need to be confident. And you can tell, I'm not confident in me, really. I'm confident in Christ. Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He can, I'm able to do it in spite of the pit.
pitiful excuse I am with how great he is. But I think about that idea of having that confidence. Turn with me. We're going to look at a couple of passages in Hebrews. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter 3. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 6. Listen to this. But Christ was faithful as a son over his house. Indeed he is and was. Whose house we are. He's talking about the church, right? Whose house we are. If we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. If we hold fast our confidence, what's my confidence in? Christ, his death, burial, and resurrection. The plan of salvation that he has set forth in the gospel and that God will do what he says. And I'm confident in that. <clears throat> I'm confident. Sometimes people tell me things, oh yeah, we'll see. Other people tell me, I just walk away, it's a done deal. I know if they told me they'll do it, it's a done deal. I have confidence in them. Well, does God have confidence in us? Do we have confidence in him? So you think about that, but it also says with our confidence, think about this, we need to be firm how long? A week? A month? Till you're 65 and get a pull Social Security or whatever. No, firm to the end. Well, looking at you all, you're not to the end yet because you're still here. So we need to be confident to the end. Now jump over a few chapters in Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 10. I love this verse. And I think one of the things, <coughs> maybe the thing, but one of the things I enjoy most that I get to do every week is assemble together with the church. I mean, I'm excited and can hardly wait for it. I mean, even when I'm over there in uh, Winfield, Kansas, this last week, it was on a Wednesday night, and you wouldn't know if I went. Well, since I was standing at my brother-in-law and sister's house, they would know. But, <clears throat> you know, I mean, man, I, I'm just excited that, hey, I get to be here, and they're going to have a Bible class on Wednesday night, and I can hardly wait to get there and be able to see brothers and sisters in Christ and be able to hear that word and maybe even be able to take something away from it and add something to it. Look here, starting at verse 19 of Hebrews 10. Listen to this. Therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus. Now, to us Americans, that probably doesn't make much sense unless you've really studied the Old Testament. Understand the Jews, under the Old Testament teaching, they had a temple in Jerusalem. And you could go in there, and finally you could enter to the holy place, and then inside of that was the holy of holies. The holy of holies could only be entered into once a year. And it could only be entered by one guy, the high priest. Now listen to this. This has changed. And the holy of holies is where the Ark of the Covenant was and the mercy seat. It represented right where God is. If that was, under Judaism, the place where you could literally approach God. It was so holy, it was only allowed to be approached once a year. Only by, and I don't have time to go through all the uh, ceremonial cleansing and everything that had to happen for him to be able to do that. So you had to have the high priest 
go in there for you. You couldn't do it. So when it says here, therefore, brethren, since we have confidence to enter the holy place, now I get to walk in on my own, right before the presence of God. Now the thing that separated the holy place and the holy of holies was a big curtain, big drape. When Jesus died on the cross, you know what happened to that curtain? It was torn from the top to the bottom. Now, if man would have tore it, he would have had to grab it here on the bottom and tore it, but he didn't tear it. And what that curtain represented was sin. Isaiah 59, 1 and 2, sin separates us from God. But now the blood of Christ, you know what? Just a while ago, we were led in prayer and we approached we, you and me, we, uh, we went right to God the Father through the blood of Christ. And without the blood of Christ, you don't get approached Father. That's a whole other lesson, but that is so important. So we can have this confidence. Let me get on or I'll never get even through Hebrews 10. By a new and living way, which he inaugurated by, <clears throat> for us through the veil, there it is, that is his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, yeah, his name is Jesus, let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Boy, a lot of symbolism. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. You're not going to shake me. For he who promised is faithful. I guarantee you, he's kept every promise he ever made and will keep every promise he ever And let us consider... I don't want to get into it. I'll just stay with the word here. To stimulate, let us consider how to stimulate one another. So do I need to be concerned about how to encourage and stimulate you and you need to be concerned with how to encourage? This isn't just all about me. One another to love and good deeds. Oh, that'll get back to Titus here in a minute, good deeds. Not, because this wouldn't stimulate anyone to love and good works, not forsaking our own assembling together, is that what we're doing? Vernon and Charlene aren't assembling together with us today. Because they're sick. Tammy's not assembling with us today. Because she's sick. You know who's assembling together? Us! The assembly. We're assembled together. You don't encourage each other. Now, sometimes there's things we can't control, right? But are there people who miss and they control the situation? They just choose not to be here? Something else come up? I mean, it's deer season right now. What are we doing here? Let me tell you what, there's a lot of brethren here sitting in the woods today thinking that's more important. They're in trouble. He says, not forsaking our own assembly as the habit of some, but encouraging, here it is, but encouraging one another. So you need to think about how to encourage me and I need to think about how to encourage you but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. Now, that day drawing near could be two things. I know what I believe it is by looking at the text. It could be the end of time. I don't believe that's what he's talking about. I believe what he's talking about there is every Sunday. Every Sunday. As you see the day drawing near, you need to be thinking, boy, what can I do this Sunday to encourage the brethren? I get to be encouraged by them. Oh, that's a two-way street. So this confidence is important, isn't it? When we approach God with confidence, I don't deserve it. I'm in awe that God will accept worship from me 
but I'm confident he does because of what the Bible says, and we need to encourage each other. So let's look on at this idea here of <coughs> here in Titus chapter 3 and verse 8. I want you to speak confidently. So when we teach the gospel, when we teach the Bible, do we need to be confident? When I tell someone, well, let me make sure you know, unless you're born again of water and spirit, you can't enter into the kingdom. Are you sure of that? Oh, yeah, I'm sure of that. It's John 3, 3 and John 3, 5. And I tell them, well, unless you repent, all of us will perish unless we repent. Are you sure of that? Oh, I'm confident. I'm sure of that. Luke 13, 3 and 13, 5, he repeats that one. You want me to keep going? We can go over a path. I'm confident because the Bible says so. So I'm going to, when I get up to preach God's word, I'm not here to give you Kindle's thoughts, Kindle's views, Kindle's belief. <clears throat> I can't even remember the guy who did the article once. A long time ago, I lived in Alaska, and a guy always wrote whatever his name was. He put his name... What something's view, say his name was Frank, Frank's view, that wasn't one of his last name. And he missed the boat on something, and I felt like, okay, i got to write and reply to this, to the letter to the editor, and I did. I said, well, one thing I'm thankful for, he did does at least name his um, column correctly, because this is obviously not God's view, looking at these verses, but it is his view. He didn't take that letter. Well, I can't help it. That's what the Bible said. And I'm confident because that's what it says. And so that's what we've got to present. <clears throat> but he says we've got to be confident. We've got to speak confidently. And so that those who have believed in God will be careful, will be careful to engage in good deeds, good works. <clears throat> Do we have to carefully examine things to see whether or not we should take part in them? As the church and as individual Christians? Have you ever done something and later you said, you know what, I shouldn't have done that? Or maybe when someone brings to your attention, you ever think about, oh, I never thought about that. Wow. Be careful to engage or maintain good works. So I need to be involved in good works. I need to maintain them. Maintenance is important. Did you know that? Now, I'm kind of one of these picky guys <laughs> when it comes to vehicles. And I'm a stickler on maintaining them. And I know people that aren't. I still think I still think back a long time ago. I lived in Alaska. I was in my 30s. And a couple of young guys that were members of the church lived in apartments, and some other members lived there. And uh, Tim came over to me one day and said, Kendall, you're not going to believe this. Mentioned this lady's name and said, said, my car's got a problem. It won't even start. So he said, I pulled the dipstick, and there wasn't a drip of oil in this car. And when's the last time you changed oil? This is what she told me. Well, the people I bought it from said it doesn't use oil. They meant it didn't burn it. They didn't mean you don't put oil in the car. But see, people don't always understand what they're hearing. That's pretty, don't use oil. It's, it's a combustion engine. It has to have oil. <laughs> you know, so you look at this and we think you've got to maintain something. If you take a little baby home from the hospital and you don't maintain them, you don't feed them, you don't change um, their diaper, you don't maintain them, what's going to happen? You're going to have a dead baby in a little while, aren't you? 
Well, Christians have to maintain good deeds. It's easy to start a good work, isn't it? Something else to, to stay with it, isn't it? Something else to finish. There's people, oh man, they're on fire, right? For a week or two or a month or two or a year. And then, oh, here they go. <clears throat> I would think the more you know about God's word, the more it excites you, the longer you're a Christian, the more enthusiastic. I guess I don't get that part. I, it hasn't lost any excitement to me every time. You know, just like uh, when I get some texts and stuff that Jeremiah was baptized Wednesday, I'm excited. Oh, man, that's great. That's exciting. We talked about it a little Monday. I was glad. Yeah, well, when you're ready, Jeremiah, let's get it done. So I got to tell Jeremiah anyway since he's sitting back there. So when I spoke at the preaching school on Monday, I told him to pray for Jeremiah because he's thinking about obeying the gospel. He's thinking about being baptized. You guys pray about that. And they prayed about it then. They prayed about it other times. So after you were baptized Thursday morning, I called one of them there to tell them, Oh, amen, we'll pass it on. They'll be so excited. You know, you think about that. I believe the prayer of righteous men avails much. We can turn over to that passage again if we need to. And I know all the angels in heaven rejoice when one sinner repents. And brethren everywhere rejoice in those things. You know what? And you got to be understand how great it is to be a part of what God plans for us. Look over to Titus, with back to Titus. I'm going to show you a few things here. And we'll kind of stay with this point for a little while here. Go back up to chapter 2 and verse 14. He gave himself for us, that's Jesus, to redeem, to buy us back, to redeem us from every lawless deed and to purify for himself a people for his own possession. That kind of rubs against the nature of Americans. Did you hear what it said? If you're going to be a Christian, you now are owned. You're not a free person anymore. You're owned. What, what do you mean? I'm telling you, that's what the Bible says. But let's understand, you're already owned spiritually. Because when you sinned, you sold yourself into slavery to Satan, and that's not the right owner. Because he just wants to see you go through all the grief of the eternal hell he's going to go through. So we have to understand Jesus died on the cross. He paid the price of the sin. It's a ridiculous amount. took the perfect blood of Christ to pay that amount. And now he owns me. But look what kind of people he owns. And so we look at this, a people for his own possession who are zealous. That's a word we don't even use much anymore. Zealous for good deeds. It is a great word. Even in English, it's a great word. <clears throat> because it does carry the idea of enthusiastic, excited, eager. But zealous is maybe even an overstatement of all those words. So it means, I mean, they're over-the-top excited, over-the-top enthusiastic. They can't hardly wait. It's kind of like a little kid. I remember when I was a kid growing up, and maybe it was the night of December 24th. And uh, mom says, time for you kids to go to bed, okay? You know, sometimes because, uh, you know, there's going to be gifts in the morning, it's hard to go to sleep. You were, you were just so excited you couldn't go to sleep. And so you think about that eagerness. It says, well, here's how Christians are. Jesus possesses people 
who are lit up about doing good deeds. They can't hardly wait. They're not just going to sit back and watch someone else work. <clears throat> we always used to have this silly joke. They probably had it in other states too, but in Kansas. You know what it's uh, orange and sleeps for? State maintenance truck. Because uh, one guy leans on the shovel, the rest of them just watch him. <clears throat> but you look at that. No, we're not spectators. I like the fellow who once said, sometimes religion today, churches today, resemble professional football game. Where you have 45, well, excuse me, let's start backwards. You have 22 men at the end of the game that are in desperate need of rest. While you have 49,000 people in desperate need of exercise. Sometimes in the church we work a few to death and they're excited to do it while others sit back and relax. I want I think I've sung a song before. I want to be a worker for the Lord. I'll always remember my step grandpa. He'd always say it's about time we quit wanting to go to work and get to work. And so the idea we're gonna be zealous, excited for good works, good deeds. So let's look on a little bit. Just so you know how he really hammers this at the end. Paul inspired, writing to this gospel preacher, verse 1 of chapter 3, remind them to be subject to rulers, to authorities, to be obedient. And here it is. Now we got another one. You're supposed to be zealous back up there at the end of chapter 2. This time you're to be ready for every good deed. So you're going to be zealous about it, and you're ready to go. You're ready to go. You know, sometimes I tease people when they got a lot of heart. Sorry, man, I wore too good. But if you know you're going on some situation where it's going to get dirty, you know what? You should be ready to get dirty then, shouldn't you? We got to be ready for good deeds. Well, you know what? <clears throat> you know, I think about this a lot. From the time I was young, I thought about this. You know, I was raised and told that we have a great commission from God to go and preach the gospel to all the world. And I'm still dumbfounded with people who've been Christians 10, 20, 30, 40 years, and they still say, well, I just don't know how to do that. Maybe you ought to get ready. You got to get ready. Whose fault is it you're not ready? It's your fault you're not ready. And so we got to be ready. We got to be ready for good works. We got to be ready to do those things. And so we look, we got to be zealous about, we got to be ready for good deeds. And of course, where we're at in chapter 8, verse 8 of chapter 3, We've got to maintain or be engaged in good deeds. <laughs> this next one, I'm going to make a point, but we'll get to it even more, Lord willing, later down the road. Go to verse 14. I still think this is interesting. And it's not a prejudice statement in the Bible. Usually when people use it today, it's a prejudice statement. Here it is. Our people. Well, usually what people mean by that, they are saying, you are not. But he says, our people, our people act a certain way. Our people are a certain group. It doesn't have anything to do with educational level, does it? You don't have to have a degree. Some of us in the room have a degree. Some of us don't. Does it make you better because you have a degree? I don't think so. It doesn't make you better because you're an American. Just talked about Ray, Jerry, um, I can't remember who all went with them on the trip, but they're over there in Africa. Well, they're not better because they're Americans 
and the people they're talking to are Africans, who cares? I mean, um, how much money you make, does that make you better than someone else? I know some people that have a ridiculous amount of money, and they're not as good as most people. They've let their money get to their head. Now, they fall in love with it. I think I've read somewhere Paul wrote to Timothy, the love of money is the root of all evil. Wow. Not money, the love of it. Some people are just in love with money. I think Paul said it best in Philippians chapter 4. He said, I've learned to be content with a lot, with an abundance. I've learned to be content with very little if I have anything. That's hard to do, isn't it? Whatever happens, I'm going to be content with it. You know, this last week, it was in the 80s, over there in Kansas, first part of the week. And then um, Saturday morning when I got out of the truck early, it was 23 degrees. <coughs> Suck it up, Kendall. Be content with whatever he gives you. You know, sometimes, no, we want to do the other thing that happened earlier in Philippians. We just want to grumble and complain. I'm pretty sure that's not a good work. Well, you know, my, my spot in the church is the complainer. No, that's not your spot. And so I think about that. So we need to be involved in these good deeds. He says, our people must also learn, uh-oh, learn, learn. I got to learn something? <laughs> you know what I've usually found out to learn something? Do you know you just have to apply yourself to learn something? You might have to read it. You might have to go over it. You might... When our kids were young, I think about in grade school, and they were learning the times tables. We had, and I'm sure maybe they do it all electronically now, but we had little cards. You know, and we'd go through those, and you'd get to this one, and it would say five times six. And so we'd go through those fast you'd get, so they could learn the times table. <laughs> and you know what? You go over it and over it and over it and over it because the three rules of memorization are repeat, repeat, and repeat. And that's how you remember things. You go over it and over it and over it, and you try to lock that away in your mind. So when we look at this one, and he tells us here, we need to learn to engage. There's that word again. Learn to engage in good deeds. Listen to this. To meet the pressing needs so that they will not be unfruitful. Engage in good deeds. Wow. We need to engage in good deeds. Now jump back to chapter 2. I want to show you this one, one more on this point. <coughs> Chapter 2 and verse 7, example. What kind of example are you? What kind of example am I? Do you know people follow your example? No matter who you are, people follow your example. Good or bad, there are people who look to you and they, they look to see how you, you know, not just what you say, but what you do. They look to see who you are and they follow your example. I think about, go back a long, long time ago when I was a kid. There used to be a commercial on television, and it was way back when 
<coughs> there was a lot of television commercials for tobacco products at that time. Uh, and there was a, a commercial, and this man, he's walking down the road, and he's got a little boy walking beside him. And the man kicks this little piece of wood or anything, and the little boy goes over and kicks that little piece of wood. And the man, he picks up a stone, he throws it out, and skips it across the water of the lake, and little boy, boy, he skips it across there. And then they sit down by a tree, and the dad gets out a pack of cigarettes and puts cigarettes in his mouth and lights up, and the little boy looks at him. Oh, the point is, you're setting an example, aren't you? He's wanting to follow your example. You know, that's as Christian as it gets. We could go back to Jesus' first sermon, early in his first sermon. We're to let our light so shine before men that they may see our good works and glorify. So we're to set in a good example so people can follow our example and have a right relationship with God, right? Later in the New Testament, 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 13, does he warn us about (coughs) 1533, 1 Corinthians 1533, he warns us, But bad company corrupts good morals. Wow. Wow. So we got to engage in good deeds. Look at this one. Verse 7 here of uh, Titus chapter 2. In all things show yourself to be an example of good deeds with purity of doctrine dignified, and he goes on. Example of good deeds. Let me ask you a question. I want you to think about that before we get ready to wrap this lesson up in a long course. Let's say that everyone in this congregation followed your example in all these things. They saw the importance of reading the Bible daily, and they do just like you do. Uh Uh-oh. And they're going to attend Bible class and worship just like you do. Uh Uh-oh. And they're going to give monetarily in a sacrificial way just like you do. And they're going to talk just like you do. And they're going to choose the same forms of entertainment just like you do. Now, if they followed your example in every aspect of of your life, would the church, listen, would the church be better or worse, stronger or weaker, Wow. So we got to step up, don't we? We have to be who God, I'm not perfect, you're not perfect, but I'm going to try to be as much like Jesus I can possibly be. And when I fail, I'll say it. And I'll ask for your forgiveness and your prayers. But we've got to understand, we've got to set the example. Now, Jesus set the example, right? We had time, we'd go over to 1 Peter chapter 2. He suffered to leave us an example that we might follow in his steps. And then Paul would even say, like, one place comes off the top of my mind real quick is 1 Corinthians 11, 1. What did he say? Follow me. Paul saying he's the guy? No. Follow me as I follow Christ. He said, I'm going to try to set the very best example that I can possibly set for you of someone being as much like Christ as possible. We've got to be involved in good deeds. You know, when you think about that, now if we had time, we would look, and we'll get into that some next week. (laughs) You know, the Bible tells 
You know, a lot of things you need to stop, you need to avoid, you need to reject, you need to abstain from. You know, the Bible tells you that. There's a lot of things Christians are not to do. Found right in here. I can give you a whole bunch of them. It tells you not to do. But here's what, it's, it's just not people not doing bad things. That's not Christianity. Christianity is just not doing bad things. It's also filling your life up with good deeds. And here I'll let you know one I've learned through life. If you fill your life up with doing good things, you don't have much time to do bad things. But if you leave vacancy, you leave downtime, the devil says, there's my spot. And he'll be in there and he'll be there to take advantage of it every time he can. I'm not so sure that leisure time is a benefit to anybody. We need to be an industrious people looking at ways to be engaged, maintain, and we need to learn more about being good examples of good work. So think about that. We're going to speak confidently about God's word, and we're going to maintain and be engaged in good deeds. That's Christianity. We need to do that every day, don't we? We need to be the best example we can be. You know, you think about it, the greatest example you can ever have of the plan of salvation is for someone to come forward and confess the name of Jesus out of faith, repent, and them submitting to being baptized for the forgiveness of their sin. That's the best example you can have of the plan of salvation. And then once we do that, then we have to be raised up, Romans 6 and verse 4, to walk in newness of life. So then it says, I got a lot cut. Now, the day you become a Christian, did you know everything the Bible told you you needed to change in your life? I don't think so. That's how come in Matthew chapter 28, after those people are baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, then he says, then you've got to teach them to observe all. There's that learning process again. Teach them to observe all that I commanded you. Not part of it, all of it. I'm so thankful God gave us this book. We're going to talk a little bit about this book today. Do we really trust him? Do we trust this book? Do we trust what it says? Or do we trust we know better? It isn't right because I think so. It isn't even right because I believe it. It's right because it's in this book and God said so. If you're here today and you need to respond to God's invitation by Uh, submitting and confessing the name of Jesus because of faith, repenting and being baptized for the forgiveness of your sins. We want to encourage you. We beg you to do that today. If you're a Christian, and you know what? You haven't been keeping your life engaged in God's work, and you haven't confidently been speaking the truth to others, maybe you've sinned in some way and need to ask for God's forgiveness, God's strength. Maybe you're going through a challenge. You just need help. You need your name taken before the throne of God in prayer. If we can assist you today, please come as we stand and sing.